find it on page 1074 of your Bibles. If you'd like to open it up, that would be great. And we're reading from chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. As, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of God who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can keep your... Um passage open, that'd be really good, because you might have noticed that the story goes on. I think there's about 41 verses in this chapter, so um, uh, we're just putting morning tea off for a little while, if that's okay. <laughs> Firstly, let me, let me pray as we open up the word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for those times when we can see so clearly that you are at work in somebody's life. We thank you for this incredible example that we're going to share together this morning. We pray that as we look at this, you might help us to reflect and again give thanks for the way you have come in and touched our lives. And uh, we pray that you might make us always thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. John writes right at the end of his gospel, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John writes this because um, he has come to know Jesus and the way he works. He's come to see that Jesus 
He's not only a builder by encouragement, as we saw last week, uh, he's a builder by conversion. I'm going to put it this way, a builder who turns lights on in people's lives. After all, hadn't he done it with John and added John to his team? Hasn't he done it with many, many of you here this morning and put you onto his team? I'd really like to ask you, how, how did you come to know Jesus? I want to, want to thank Adam for sharing with us how, uh, in his own experience, uh, Jesus touched his life. A little bit like this chapter, actually, I think we'll find. How did you come to know Jesus? Have you ever written down on paper, oh, sorry, on, on your iPad or computer, um, <laughs> what happened, the details? Why would you do that? Well, because you can then go back and revisit it and it will always be a spur to thanksgiving between you and God to see what he's been doing in your life. For some of us, it might have involved a magic moment, you know, a, a, a time when the light kicked on, <laughs> when it wasn't on before. Um, maybe you just saw the truth of the gospel for the first time because somebody preached something or you said something in conversation or... You read something, whatever it might be. I, I remember a couple of magic moments. You probably will remember some as we chat. I was at a university. I was doing a science degree. Um, I had a lot of trouble with chemistry. It wasn't my friend. Um, I struggled really hard with it, um, particularly molar theory. Molar chemistry, in case you're not too sure what it's all about, uh, is about um, volumes of chemicals and how they interact with each other and... Um, I wasn't interested, <laughs> um, but I wasn't good at it. I couldn't get the, the, the things to, get, to come together properly. But, and so I, I failed first year chemistry. Probably predictable. But I worked really hard at it because I didn't want to have to fail chemistry. And I, 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 all through the summer break, I worked on it and I worked on it. And I remember one afternoon as I worked on it, all of a sudden, it was just like a veil being taken away and I, I could see how the whole thing worked. And I thought, this is wonderful. And so from that point on, the light went on in my vacant brain, like a bolt out of the blue, the penny dropped, or whatever sort of other things you want to say about it. Chemistry and I became friends. Um, don't ask me about molar theory today, please, at the end of the service, because that's a long time ago now. <laughs> and it's um, drifted off into the dark. I taught maths briefly before I went to more college. And I can still hear some of the boys, it was a boys' school, some of the boys are calling out unexpectedly, oh, now I get it, sir. And I can, uh, I can appreciate that with them. Um, you might have come to Christ that way. But I think for most people, it does, probably doesn't happen that way. Maybe at the end of the process it does, but there's a longer process, a bit like Adam shared with us this morning. Um, you might describe it more like a dawn a day dawning process. We, we drove uh, from uh, Rouse Hill to here this morning and the sun was still coming up. It was quite glorious, actually, really very nice. But have you ever sat in the dark and just waited for the sun to come up, stage by stage, and it goes through that pitch black through to sort of shards of grey and then it lightens and lightens. And then finally you have this beautiful colour of everything that's around you. That process is lovely. I think that's the way most of us come to know Christ. It was certainly, I think, my experience. 
It doesn't really matter in the end, does it? Because we're all a bit different. Whatever way it happens, John wants to say to you and me, it's Jesus who kicks the light on. He's the one who turns it on for us in our lives. And John chapter 9 is an account of a miracle, one of many in John, um, a man blind from birth. We can appreciate what that must have... Well, maybe we can't, but we'd, we'd like to think some of us we can. A man who'd never seen all of his life. We're not too sure how old he is now in, this, in the account, but now he can see. Appreciate it. Have you ever seen that ad where the uh, child with the cochlear trans, uh, implant has it turned on and the face lights up? And Have you seen that ad? A mar- marvellous ad. Um, Bit like he must have been a bit like that, you know. Looking at everything as he walked along, and all the faces, and the th- it must have been a wonderful day for him. But it's more than a miracle. That's John's point, isn't it? It's more than a miracle. It's actually a very deliberate sign, pointing to the way that Jesus displaces spiritual darkness in a person's life with the light of His truth, and He does it powerfully and completely. And I think it's an enormous privilege watching Jesus work with this man as it is to hear other people's stories about how Jesus does that with us. Uh, It's a dawning process, I think. It's step by step by step. The the whole truth is just unfolded and finally hits home. He's convicted and he trusts Jesus and he worships him as Lord. You know, it's always been like that, hasn't it, from the very beginning. God has always been about turning lights on in our lives. Uh, in, 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 you see it in different shapes and forms, but that's what he does. Way back in Isaiah, um, which is what, 800 years before Jesus, something of that sort, um, he said this, This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by my hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. Oh, he says a little bit earlier in Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We're more familiar perhaps with that verse around Chrissy time. From the time he was born into the world, Jesus has been the light of the world and his light shines on everyone. We know that many won't let the light of his truth bring change into their lives. One man has made this comment, Jesus' light shines in the general domain but the shutters are generally closed. And that's true of so many people's lives. The shutters are closed. They will not open them to let the light in. For those who are simply not open to God's truth, the effect of Jesus' light shining on their lives is to blind them further. And we'll see that going on in this passage as well. But for those who are genuinely seeking after the truth, and you may be here for that reason, in which case you're in the right place and it's terrific you're here, he turns the lights on in people's lives. And we're going to watch him do it. So let's, uh, if, you've, if you've got that passage ready to go, um, 
There's only 41 verses, so you need to perhaps lick your finger and get ready for a quick <laughs> change. I have to say, this fellow is very likeable. Um, he's not afraid to speak with raw honesty and tell it like it is. He's not politically correct, which is so pleasant these days. And he's not prepared to be pushed around by the authorities. Um, he works from the undeniable facts of his initial experience of Jesus. That is, that Jesus healed him of his blindness. And what the Pharisees deny about Jesus, or maybe they can't see, they certainly can't see, he begins to see with growing clarity. And what starts as just, not just, but as new eyes for a man who's never been able to see, that develops into a whole new relationship with God and a whole new worldview. And yet, as soon as these wonderful things start to happen to him, we have occasion for feeling sorry for him. You might think, well, what do you mean, Chris? Well, you look at what happens. From the very beginning of receiving his physical sight, a miraculous experience that you rejoice in and give thanks for, things don't go very well, from one perspective anyway. What happens? Well, the people amongst whom he has always lived and begged, who probably supported him for many, many years, they can't believe he's the same man. So nobody shares his wonderful moment. They're all debating. You can see it in the text, there's this debate. You can always hear the voices to and fro. That's him. No, it's not him. It just looks like him. Um, and nobody's looking to the blind man, putting their arm around him, saying, this is just wonderful. Look at this. They're not sharing the moment with him. Then the Jewish leaders, when they come along, the Pharisees, they accuse him of lying about being blind at all. You were never blind. Come on, tell us the truth. His parents, when they're confronted by the Pharisees, they won't stand up for him. They say, he's 21, go and ask him. He's of age. They were scared of being thrown out of the church, by the, the local church, by the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees accuse him of being utterly sinful. Now, they do that because he was born blind, and many believed in those days that if you had something like that, it was a cause of something you'd done. It was like a tit-for-tat arrangement, which is not true, of course, but that's what they believed, some of them believed. They just called him utterly sinful, and they throw him out of the local church. That's when Jesus finds him, of course. But it's while all this is happening that we are watching as the light of the world illuminates this man's understanding in the most life-changing way. And the physical healing that goes on here is, that's praiseworthy enough. That's, that's wonderful. But it's only like a gateway into that bigger work of God in this man's life. It's like just the start of something even more profound. Uh, you can tell that by, the, by looking at um, how many verses each of those things uh, takes up. For instance, the actual healing account is over in two verses. Did you notice that? The consequences of the healing take 33 verses more. So where are we supposed to spend our time <laughs> on the 33 verses? Having a look at what Jesus is doing um, after he's actually healed this man's eyes. What happens? Well, verse 11, the, he speaks of Jesus simply as a man. 
the voice of the man, in fact, because he's never seen Jesus, has he? He's only heard the voice. But he talks about him as a man. Um, in verse 17, after being drilled by the Pharisees, he realises that this Jesus, he can't be anyone less than a prophet. And I guess the prophet in his day, that was the highest status he could think of, and so he calls him a prophet. Prophets had done these sorts of things in past days. By verse 27, he's now talking about Jesus as one worthy of having others follow him. In fact, he, he, he really gives it to the Pharisees. He himself says he's glad to become a disciple of Jesus. And he says to them, so you'd like to become his disciple too? And of course, that really gets them going. By verse 27, he's now regarding Jesus as one worthy of having others follow him. And in verse 33, he's convinced that Jesus is a man from God. Who else could do things like Jesus is doing unless he had come from God? God would never support somebody in this sort of thing if he wasn't from God. And finally, um, when Jesus goes to find him after the man's been thrown out of the church, he trusts Jesus to be the promised Messiah and submits to his lordship and worships him, falls down in front of him, acknowledges who he is. In other words, because Jesus is doing the things that God does, he recognises that Jesus is God and acknowledges him that way. So he's come from seeing him as a man all the way through to seeing him as the son of God, the, the promised Messiah before whom he must bow down. Now that's, um, that's wonderful to see that going on and, and it may reflect uh, to a degree what's happened in your life. On the other hand, as, as his thinking and his convictions about Jesus are being clarified and confirmed, by contrast, there's also a process going on in the Pharisees. Did, I don't know whether you saw that. Let's have a quick look at that. Remember, they've got their shutters tightly closed so the light won't get in. They're rejecting the claims of Jesus at every turn. And so here's the process they're going through. Um, verse 16... Rather than look carefully at the facts of the miracle and what they imply, I mean, a miracle's gone on, you know, you've got to stop and think about that, surely. They start with preconceived ideas. This man's a sinner. Don't listen to him. He's got nothing to say. Keep away from him. He's not from God. We won't budge our position. That's verse 16. Verse 18. Did a miracle really happen here? Can we really believe the testimony of this man? Verse 24, this man, Jesus, has got to be a sinner because he did what he did on the, on the Sabbath. Verse 29, Jesus shows that they are ignorant. They just simply cannot see it and they don't get it. And then in verse, uh, it, um, finally, the final situation is where a couple of them come to him and say, surely, Jesus, you're not saying that we're the blind ones, <laughs> that we're the ones who haven't got the truth. And Jesus says exactly what I'm saying to you. So in the end, their 
process was a downward spiral, a confirmation of their darkness, even though the light of Jesus was shining as brightly on them as on anybody else. One thing they could not do was to argue this blind man out of his new understanding. He says, One thing I know, that whereas I was blind and now I see. You can't argue a person beyond that. And you and I, every Christian, we we know, once I did not understand the truth about Jesus, but now I do. Once I didn't know Jesus personally, now I do. Nobody can argue us out of that position. That's just what we know to be true. Like he did with this blind man, Jesus has taken the initiative to find each one of us and to turn the lights on in each one of our lives. He's shown us the truth about him and that compels us to love him and to trust him with our lives. And in fact, the blind man is astonished at the spiritual leaders to whom it had never occurred that they could possibly be the blind ones. Not him. They had closed their eyes to the very facts that had opened his eyes. And so in verse 30 he says, this is the really marvellous thing, he says, your unbelief in the face of the evidence. That's more of a miracle than my cure is. I suppose at one level we can understand something of the Pharisees' response What I mean is this, when Jesus shares the truth with us, it is often hard to hear at first before we come to understand the the fullness of what he's saying. It's often very confronting. People, it seems to me that some of the reactions to to Christians today is because people are finding Christians confronting they have been allowed to live exactly as they want and Christians are saying God wants us to live a certain way. That's confronting. But when Jesus talks, talks, shares the gospel, um, he tells us that we badly need him. We badly need him because we've turned our backs on him, we've closed our eyes and our ears to what he has to say and that makes God angry. And that makes me accountable for my response and brings me under his judgment. That's the gospel message, the first half of it anyway, isn't it? Now that is confronting. But then we come to a passage like this one and we read today about the blind man and we're reminded that Jesus is about mending broken relationships. He's dealt with God's anger. He's dealt with our judgment, the fact that we're under judgment from God. By coming to us and by paying the judgment cost himself on the cross and rising to life to convince us that in him we are dealing with God himself. Now Jesus has come and done that. And the blind man discovered that here is a figure uniquely qualified to look us in the eye and say to us, I have come to turn the lights on in your life. To share the truth about God my Father to fill your life with meaning and with purpose, to recreate your life balance and to give you genuine hope that will not disappoint you. That's what Jesus does. And the magic moment for the blind man is when Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
And the man says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe in him. And Jesus says, well, you're looking at him. The one speaking to you is he. He just needs to make it clear who he is, why he needs him to work this work in him. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. And he falls down in front of him. And that's a wonderful day for the blind man. Getting his sight for the first time, that opened up a whole new life experience for him. But it was coming to know Jesus that was his unexpected and greatest joy. Now today, Jesus continues to build. He builds one by one by one. He is constantly energised to turn lights on in people's lives as they listen to his truth and believe and put their trust in him. Unfortunately, we don't see it so often here as it is happening across in other parts of the world in, in, in countless numbers. Parts of the world where we thought it could, it's so hard for it to happen. In, in uh, Islamic communities, there are Islamic people turning to Christ. In some areas, in their droves. Jesus turns lights on in these people's lives. But he is turning lights on in Willoughby and in the lives in our families and in our friends. And he will do that. So what ought we to do? Because there is nobody capable of stopping that light, turning his light out. We're on his building team. Let's keep praying hard for our families and our friends and our neighbours and the people of Willoughby. Let's pray that we will be regularly given the privilege of seeing, witnessing lives changed as lights are turned on. We know the builder. We know his credentials. We know his character. And we know his truth. Our challenge is to so reflect the light of Christ in our life and experience that we can be a powerful beacon in a dark world which has lost its way. So that's a big challenge, isn't there? An acknowledgement and a reason for thanks and then a big challenge for us to work out how can we most effectively do that. In the ACT series, we'll be tackling those sorts of questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, giving us this look at how Jesus works on your behalf in the lives of people like ourselves. Um, give us thankful hearts and we ask, Lord, in your mercy and grace, we pray that there may be many others come to join us, come into our lives so we can share our faith with them, that you may turn on many more lights. For Jesus' sake. Amen.